This is the Shift Podcast. The Shift Daily Podcast has former Liberal MP Dan McTagg joining us to grade the federal party's performance so far in the election. He shares how Canadians need to hold our elected officials into account. Blaine Kylo is back and happier than ever. Why? Because the sequel to his one of his most beloved video games is finally here 15 years later. Psychonauts 2. We talk about that. Games, con, and a giant TV that you can enjoy outdoors, light, and portable. Plus, are you okay with karaoke? What about hot dogs? All of this on the Shift Daily Podcast. Are you okay? Are you okay with karaoke? Yeah, I love karaoke. I used to host it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean that's that's but that's a that's a job I wish I did. I'd love to host really? karaoke. You have to sing. But, uh, no, well, I here's the thing. It. I didn't sing that much because I didn't believe in stealing the show. Uh, my boss used to get mad at me because I was supposed to like sing once an hour, but if there was a huge lineup of people that wanted to sing, they don't want yeah. to come to hear me. Well, I would agree with that. Yeah. If, there's, if you're full, if your cart is yeah. full, then yeah, don't sing. But if there's nobody singing yet and you're trying to warm up the crowd. Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. I would sing, but I'd also like to mix their songs and be a DJ instead and just like riff on right. the mic. That also helped. Yeah. It worked. A little freestyle rap there. Yeah. yeah. You got to do My it. name is Brennan and I'm here to say it sounds like really it's great good. karaoke day. Yeah, it's oh. good. I like that. Yeah. Really I should use that. Very yeah. good. Yeah, try that next time. Uh, karaoke, karaoke market is valued at about ten billion with a b- billion dollars. Everyone loves the chance to get up in uh, in club. Everyone loves to get chance to get up in club and sing some of their favorite songs. V dub. I don't know what was what happened there, Ryan. Uh, it's missing a the. Get up in the club. Oh, oh up in the club. Okay. Yeah, you know what that's club. called. Yeah, some songs. that's called um. That's called this. That's a typo. Is it really though? If he didn't type the word at all, we've gone mm. over this before. It it does it does count. If there's a missing word, it is a typo. Okay, I tried to defend. All right. I know I I I'm done defending myself on this. I'm never gonna all right. win. <laughs> all never right. Gonna Here win. are some examples of the good, bad, and the ugly. Tequila. Uh, the tequila is genius. Yeah. I know he went on America's Got Talent and did that. Like That's that guy did that bit on America's Got Talent. It if you fantastic, but if you if your buddies say, "Hey, you've got to do," I agree to do karaoke. I will sing one song and one song only, but I get to choose the song. Okay, fine. 
That's the one you picked. That's the secret. You've <laughs> unlocked the karaoke secret. <laughs> da, 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 da. Tequila. All right. Tequila. Today's karaoke story is brought to you by Florida. A Florida dog owner didn't think twice when he rushed into the water to save his three-month-old puppy from an alligator's grip. Something's only happened in Florida. Police in Edgewater are investigating one of their officers after he allegedly punched woman's husband. Really? That's a typo. There's another missing word. Police in Edgewater, Florida... are investigating one of their officers after he allegedly punched woman's husband after she rejected him during karaoke. According to WESH News, WESH News, the altercation started after Nacy Tukoglu, my apologies, who claimed to be an officer, punched the woman's husband multiple times before he allegedly stated, I'm a cop. What are you going to do about it? Question mark. According to a police report, he punched the woman's husband multiple times before he allegedly stated, I'm a cop. What are you going to do about it? That's a typo. <laughs> That's my favorite typo ever. I so, read that script three times and not once did I go, wait a minute. <laughs> I've Actually, it turns out you read the script six times. Um, yeah. Okay. Edgewater police released this statement. The officer has been placed on suspension and an internal investigation has been initiated. He has been with EPD since September of 2020. Oh, he's a noob. He's a noob and he punched someone because they wouldn't do the karaoke with him. I mean, rejection's <sighs> hard, but that's lame. He punched somebody because they wouldn't do karaoke. He punched somebody because they wouldn't do karaoke. I think we should say everything twice. I think we should say everything yep. twice now. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. Are you okay with eating healthy? Are you okay with eating healthy? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Lately, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually I just didn't really care. But now I actually, I'm at that point where if I eat greasy food, it tastes amazing and then I feel like crap. And then if I have mm-hmm. something healthy, it's like, oh, I don't feel like crap. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, with all it- my pushback on vegetables when I was a kid, mm-hmm. it turns out. I feel better when I eat them. Yeah, I find this yeah. getting older thing. I find that the, like, eating bad stuff seems to affect me more now. It's not as fun. It's getting older. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's true. Um, you have to decide before you eat that, order that burrito or whatever it is that you're going to get or those, that spicy food. You have to look at your calendar for tomorrow and go, what do you want to get? Let me check my calendar. And then you decide what you can eat. <laughs> uh, eating healthy is kind of like working out, right? It's you're exercising your belly and stuff. If you didn't have to do it, though, would you? Well, you might want to keep up your healthy habits because a new study from the States shows that eating a hot dog is dangerous. Here's more from ABC7 News. A new study suggests that eating one hot dog takes 36 minutes off of your life. New research from the University of Michigan evaluating more than 5,800 foods, ranking them by their nutritional disease burden to humans. A beef hot dog on a bun resulting in 36 minutes lost, largely due to the detrimental effect of processed meat. If that headline stresses you out, imagine what Joey Chestnut's thinking. Put down your hot dog! Hello, Joey. Does he need to be worried (laughs) that... All of these hot dogs are just taking years and years off of his life. I think if you're eating hot dogs in a Joey type of way, that this could be 
you know, a turning point in your life to maybe cut back a little bit. If you enjoy hot dog once in a while, completely fine. Everybody wants to have fun foods in their life, and that's part of enjoying eating. Joey poking fun at the study, tweeting, interesting, I might need to eat more nuts to get time back. The competitive eating champ has a point there. The same study suggesting that eating foods like salted peanuts, baked salmon, and rice with beans are equivalent to adding between 10 and 15 minutes back onto your life. What? That's awfully precise. Right? I know. This, this, this study is so bizarre because it's kind of like, it's it, it doesn't even really come across as science to me. It's more like using science as a way to explain a basic, you know, way to eat. Eat healthy and it's good and have something crappy every now and then and it's fine. But, you know, in 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 balance but the there's study no way it can like, be science because you'd have to do a b yeah. testing so you'd have to take like 37 days twins who <laughs> ate exactly the same thing for all their lives and then at the exact same time they would have to eat exactly the same hot dog and then they would monitor them until they died and if one of them ate the hot dog and one of them didn't and died how many minutes earlier 37 minutes so one of them dies 37 minutes before the other one, and they'd be like, it was the hot dog. Like, <laughs> that's the only way you could do it. It's so bizarre that there is, some, there is some pretty cool math about uh, how much time Joey has lost. This from is hot cool dogs, math. According to the study. Go ahead. 1,094 hot dogs, at least in competition, he's eaten. 39,384 minutes off his life, according to the survey. Or a little more than 27 days he's lost. The study also found that peanut butter and jelly sandwiches were associated with an added 33 minutes of healthy, happy living. How can that be? (laughs) Brissette says it's helpful to have actionable, digestible numbers. Nice plan words. To help us in our health journey. So you should stick to around an 80-20 ratio. 80% healthy, 20% garbage. But tasty, probably fried garbage. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. I love it. It's, uh, I don't know, it's a weird study, man. It's yeah. just eat, have a, strike a nice balance. For example, I ate really healthy today, and tomorrow I'm absolutely going to get a cheeseburger. And the day after that, uh, really healthy. Are you going to think now when you get a cheeseburger, you're going to be like, that's 36 minutes gone right there? No, no. Because I'll, I'll just do the math. If I lost 36, <laughs> this is it. If I have a cheeseburger, how many peanut butter jelly sandwiches do I need to eat now to get that 36 minutes back? That's it. There you go. Life is so simple. So simple. Uh, are you okay? Are you okay with Nevermind? Like the Nirvana album? The Nirvana album. Okay, yeah, oh. yeah. It's uh, it's not my favorite one they've done, but I, I like it. I like it. Uh, it's a good album. I I grew up around. I was in like a weird. I was born in '96, so like Nirvana was. I don't think the the biggest thing when I was a little bit older, but like when I was born, they were huge, right? So I grew up around a lot of Nirvana fans, and I, I like Smells Like Teen Spirit, but I prefer like. Some other cuts. I'm not really MTV a unplugged guy, was though. Amazing. Yes, yeah. that is true. And I do like the whole kind of mythos of the band and Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Well, this is the album cover that everybody will recognize. It's got the nude little baby on it that's following the fishing hook with the dollar bill. And um, regarded really as one of the best grunge albums of all time, it certainly led the way into the era. That's for sure. And Dave Grohl, 
that was the first one that Dave Grohl was with Nirvana as well. The impact of this album is hard to understate. It brought punk back into culture in the form of grunge for teens and sold over 30 million copies. Now, that artwork, the nude baby chasing the dollar bill, it's a very famous image, and one guy isn't really okay with tat. <laughs> That's a typo. <laughs> And one guy really isn't okay with that. It's the guy on the cover, Spencer Eldon. The man who appears on Nirvana's Nevermind album as a nude baby is now suing the band. Here's more from CNBC. He might be the most famous naked baby in the entire world, and for that he's suing. Spencer Eldon was just four months old when he landed the cover of Nirvana's Nevermind. He's 30 now, and alleging that was sexual exploitation and child pornography. His lawyers say the shot makes him look, quote, like a sex worker, that his guardians didn't sign a release, and that he's suffering from personal injury and permanent harm. He's asking for at least $150,000 each from 15 defendants. But Elder has been recreating that pose over and over, five times over the years. See him here? On the left, he's 17. On the right, he's 25. Five years ago, he told... The New York Post, it's cool but weird to be part of something so important that I don't even remember. Smells like green spirit. Ooh, oh, well done. Oh. <laughs> Eldon had expressed mixed feelings about the album cover before, but never called it child pornography. Keep in mind, we would have no idea who Spencer Eldon is if he had not been on it. And he has recreated that cover as an adult since, in order to also make money. A couple of times. Yeah. There's just no way he's going to win this. That nope. is That picture is not sexualized in any which way, shape, and form, right? Yeah. And it's, Although it does. It's been around forever. Yeah. The one legal thing here, though, is that I, what I was reading, in, and apparently the original draft, the band was supposed to cover the baby's like penis with a sticker, but that didn't really happen. So I think yeah. that might be the only legal thing he has here, but there's just the fact he's recreated it and clearly been able to market himself a little bit. I just, I don't know. I think this is weird. Um, yeah. I mean, you can see the penis, the, uh, the baby right in the photo. So that was always the conversation about it. And it would not have been hard to uh, create that photo and not have that visible. And none of this happens. But he's made a bunch of money from it. Come on, man. It's a scam. Are you okay? Are you okay with watermelon? Yeah, absolutely. Watermelon is one of the best fruits. However, if you don't eat it, like within a day or two of cutting it, the smell of old watermelon is one of the worst things in the world. I, hmm. It's, it's hmm. aw awful. Yeah. Like if you leave it in Tupperware too long or anything like that, oof, no, no. I find it to be very boring. I find it to be the most boring of the fruits. Really? Yeah, I'm not a fan of watermelon. Really boring, huh? I find it boring. It does. You th I don't know. It's just like artificial watermelon taste is good, but like when you taste actual watermelon, it's mostly just water. It's funny because I hate artificial watermelon taste, oh, but I love that's real different. watermelon. 
that like anything yeah. fake watermelon, like that's dreadful. Watermelon yeah. gum. There's Gross. maybe one or two like watermelon Mr. Freezy is probably one of the only ones is that's amazing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah, that's not boring. The fake stuff though, I mean like it's dreadful fake watermelon. Okay, how about this? Wait, wait, wait. How about putting watermelon on your pizza? Oh. No, I don't think so. No. no. This pizza's already going to be soggy enough from the grease. I don't need literal water getting in my pizza. No. And as a topping, that's worse than pineapple. Ugh. Oh, hey, easy there, big fella. Slow your roll. No, yeah. No, no, no. no. I... First of all, let's not be hurtful yeah, about the pineapple. Yeah, you don't want to take that back. And, uh, and also, you're wrong. No, I'm not. How about pizza made from watermelons? There's a lot of our UKs built into this one. I don't change my answer, no. No. All right. <laughs> no. In June, the original watermelon barbecue pizza went viral in June. That's a typo. When TikTok chief Oliver Patterson shared the recipe to his account, and now it seems Domino's is getting in on the chaos. I'm pretty sure that's a typo. That's a typo. <laughs> uh, specifically, Domino's. Wait, what's a typo? Do- the word Domino's? Well, yeah, it's Domino's. Domino's. Like domino. Domino's. Domino's doesn't have an E. It's Domino's, the restaurant. This is like a record-setting one tonight. This is. You know what? It's not Friday. Like, we still have another day. I don't care what day of the week it is. When it's typo day, it's typo day. This is. Wow. (laughs) This is my world. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, It seems Domino's. That's a typo. Is getting in on the chaos. Specifically, Domino's. That's a typo. Australia. Oh, wait a second. Did we just talk about Australia? Oh, I think we did. We did talk about Australia. All right, back to watermelon pizza. Here's more from CNN's Jeannie Moss. This is equally confronting for us. Adding sauce and cheese and pepperoni. But it does look pretty good at the oven. Pretty good? That's a war crime, posted one TikToker. Domino's, I can't keep defending you, protested another. Domino's Australia said it was inspired by TikTok chef Oliver Patterson, who whipped up a couple of watermelon pizzas earlier in the summer. But Patterson told Newsweek, in order for it to taste good, you need to fry the watermelon to get rid of excess water and use barbecue sauce instead of tomato sauce. Barbecue apparently pairs better with watermelon. Even Domino's admitted, We think it might be an acquired taste. Okay, um... How about, uh, this one's for Ryan. It comes from an unnamed listener that I don't have uh, a name attributed to it, so I will say thank you. You'll know who you are. How about injecting your watermelon with vodka and rum? For Oh, it's from John. Yeah. I mean, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you okay. scoop it out, and then you blend it with alcohol, and you put it back in. So this is why I say that one specifically for Ryan, because this is what the text actually reads. How about injecting your watermelon with vodka and rub? 
Speaking your language. Hey, we're all connecting on the same level, shift heads. This is amazing. This is the Shift Podcast. Oh, through the course of the last week and a bit here, we've been speaking an awful lot about the election and what moves your needle in the election. Uh, some of the conversation that is coming up today that we're going to have to uh, dig into here is going to be around the climate. And does this matter for you in this election? Is it important in this election? I mean, that doesn't diminish climate as a conversation. It just says, is it the most important of the conversations? So there's one guy that I wanted to talk to about that. His name's Dan McTagg. He's with Affordable Energy. And uh, not only is he the gas guy, <laughs> take that the right way, by the way. Um, I don't want to give you that reputation, Dan. Uh, the, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mean the gassy guy either. So it's not like he just had a burrito. I just mean, just don't Dan, gaslight me. <laughs> that's, there you go. Even better. Um, Dan McTagg uh, is a former liberal MP. So he worked in Ottawa. He did all of these political things. So there is so much insight that we can uh, dig into with what's going on in the election now. He's been through it. How are you, Dan? Well, you know, I'm uh, kind of enjoying uh, watching this from the outside uh, and uh, having a few little opportunities to provide commentary at a time in which uh, the, the universe is unfolding. Uh, we're seeing high prices wow. for everything and people are very concerned about what's going to happen post that election as we get hopefully past this pandemic. Uh, I want to talk about the cost of all those things, but let's get your professional opinion as a former Liberal MP. Um, how does it look so far from the outside from a guy that used to be there? Uh, probably the worst start for the, my party, the Liberal Party, uh, since 2011. Uh, we've had uh, two elections, 2015, which they were very successful, and 2019 again to a larger extent, although it came a little closer. Um, but uh, it, we're nearing the second, the end of the second week mark. Um, and uh, I would have to say that uh, since the beginning of the campaign, there's been almost a gaff-a-day campaign and... Uh, the prime minister may not have the Teflon that uh, so many, uh, you know, uh, ascribed him to having in those first two elections. Uh, I think it's uh, obviously going to be difficult for them. I think the biggest problem with the Liberal Party, and very honestly, is they don't have a platform. They haven't been able to explain to Canadians why they've been plunged into an election during the height of a pandemic, during a time in which there's an international rescue underway to try to save the lives of uh, people who saved uh, or and, and had the backs, really, of our Canadian soldiers in Afghanistan. It comes at a time of great uncertainty. Canadians want stability. They don't want to be fooling around with elections at this time. And that's only my own personal opinion in terms of my advice I would have given to the prime minister was to hold off. And I think I wasn't, wouldn't have been the only one. I see that his friend Gerald Butts had the same conclusion. Wait a little longer. You're not losing anything. Uh, Parliament is working. But uh, it comes at a very critical time. And I think uh, because the Liberals have not been able to articulate uh, a position or, under, or or to be able to tell Canadians why we're into an election, I think it's making, uh, uh, it's making it a very, very tough road to hoe for the, uh, for the Prime Minister. Well, at the same time, I think uh, the NDP, uh, much to my surprise, has uh, run a very good campaign, as have the Conservatives. Uh, it's been, frankly, flawless up to now. Uh, normally at this point, you'd have the usual, you know, issues brought up, uh, the, the hot button issues, abortion, capital punishment, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. But, uh, you know, the Liberals have not been able to put a chink in the armor of the opposition. And I'm hearing a lot from young people, a younger generation saying that did vote for Trudeau in 2015 and stayed with him in 2019. I think there's a there's there's an exodus of young people moving to the NDP. 
I think that's probably a very fair statement. It's interesting to me that there was a lot of people got a kick out of the uh, conservative poster of Aaron O'Toole, the men's health looking poster. I thought it was genius because he's younger than um, with even with his white hair, right? He's younger than Trudeau. And they were trying to create this is the young and sprite option. You've got uh, Jagmeet, who is energetic everywhere he goes. And now you've got Aaron O'Toole, who's taken over that energetic role. And with everything that's gone on on the TV with Afghanistan and whatnot, uh, you see a prime minister who, uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, this is not an opinion, it's just an observation. He looks pasty, white, disheveled, stressed, and worn out. Yeah, and I think uh, easy to uh, to come to, uh, to making mistakes. I think uh, in many respects, uh, it looks like this election is about him. And hubris. It was not about uh, uh, some fundamental need. One of the things I found out about the Conservatives is they strike me. If I, you know, for, uh, standing outside, I'm not saying we're supporting them or anything. They sound to me like the Liberals of the 1990s. Um, their policy is extraordinarily balanced, and I, uh, you know, there I can pick a lot out. I don't like their green policy at all, and I've taken several shots at uh, uh, Mr. O'Toole very publicly uh, and on many platforms, including our own. Um, but uh, I got to say, uh, he sounds a whole lot like Jean-Claude St. Paul Martin uh, that I worked under uh, from 1993 to 2011. So um, that may bode very well, especially for folks who are looking for a sensible, you know, reliable, as Jean-Claude Saint would have said, someone who has a, you know, experience and, you know, has keeps keeps their hand on the till to keep the ship of state straight in, in very tough storms and difficult times have a feeling that that's kind of where the conservatives are going to wind up here much stronger than anybody had expected with the NDP eating away and eroding and corroding that liberal support. And I, uh, I got to say, if I was a liberal candidate right now, I'd be, uh, I'd be very nervous. I'm in the GTA. I go up down the street here where there's tons of liberal signs in the last election. I see two liberal signs and I see about 14 conservative signs, not because someone's been knocking on the doors. I think people are starting to get fed up with uh, the same old, same old, well, I can't. I mean, between friends, Dan, I, I can't really tell where uh, the Liberal Party exists anymore. It's kind of like it's kind of like what you saw down in the states with Donald Trump and the Republican Party that it it became all about Donald Trump. And I think that this I'm not even equating uh, Trudeau to Trump. I mean, their ways of doing business are remarkably similar and remarkably different all at the same time. But at the same from the same perspective, I I can't tell where um, the party exists behind the face of the the leader of that party i can't i can't tell you what they stand you said to me if you said to me here pop quiz shane what's the liberal party standing for i'd be like "Mm, not delivering promises (laughs) that's it that's all i got i think the liberals have been badly bruised uh and have tried to uh just to use my hamid ali expression rope a dope it they they think that they can probably walk through this taking the hits relying on quebec relying on the gta relying on uh the uh you know the small support uh, they have in atlantic canada but the problems are, are are pretty clear uh everyone is looking to what's going to happen after this election much less why we're having an election uh liberals greatest fear came to them last week in nova scotia uh, and all the pollsters uh, had uh, a strong you know a strong liberal majority turning out to be a strong conservative majority uh, this is not about the conservatives this is really about underestimating um the angst that I think is out there. And it's not really based on, hey, did you give me my serve? Did you give me my vaccinations? All those aside, I think what the prime minister is realizing is that uh, the what have you done for me lately uh, has a limit. 
uh, and the resources, the ability for the government to bend over backwards and to look after every, you know, uh, Sally, Leslie, and uh, Henrietta is is starting to get uh, is starting to wear thin. And the traditional touchstones that uh, the liberals post my time would go after those hot button social issues. Uh, just don't resonate anymore. It's not going to cause people to change their mind, especially given if you check the boxes, um, other parties are way ahead of them on this. So the Liberals' gambit in 2015 was to out NDP the NDP. Um, that can only take you so far. And there's a lot of stuff here. I think uh, the Prime Minister called the election not just because it was a, a, a cynical move. He saw the polls. I think he also knows that economically and politically, there's some bombshells coming. Some of them are blowing up day by day, and perhaps they have not completely taken effect. But what happens after August 31st in Afghanistan? And how many of those interpreters and supporters of our of our uh, armed forces uh, did not make it back and will be subject to ruthless rule by the Taliban? Uh, will we see uh, an economic collapse? Will we see uh, growth not restore itself in this economy? Are we going to see a fourth wave? And I think this is a concern. People are saying, hey, wait a minute, we're still in this pandemic. Things are not back to normal. Um, you didn't need to call the election right now. So all of these things really suggest that, uh, you know, if we see some change in the United States uh, along the lines of the, uh, the Fed uh, tapering, uh, you know, its monetary easing, uh, and we start to see interest rates going up, um, that could spell disaster for a lot of Canadians who've experienced not only, as you quite eloquently referred to and, and, and delved into, inflation, but also uh, perhaps depreciation of the value of their homes, the value of their assets, while at the same time, the cost of living goes through the roof. Yeah. Well, what a crossroads we're at, right? How do you protect an $800,000 house that's actually worth $500,000 and still someone who uh, inspires someone to be able to find a house that costs one hundred and fifty that they can actually afford? I mean, it seems impossible. It's in, If we were in a corporate conversation, we would say flat out, the ledger is going to get worse before it gets better. Um, there's a lot of points you touched on there. Um, the American timeline, uh, the impact of the American timeline in Afghanistan is a big one. I said last night on the shift, I can't imagine Canadian soldiers trying to hold that airport, not because of ability, just out of resources. I mean, that's mind blowing to me. I don't think that that would be possible uh, if we wanted to continue trying to fly people out. Um, you've got OPEC and the new version of OPEC, the price of oil. Through the course of the pandemic, all of these corporations, you're seeing it with banks, in uh, their like skyrocketing dividends, um, you're seeing all of this gentle, we'll ride this out part. Okay, that was very kind of those corporations or organizations to do that. But if you ever thought that they were going to make back the money that they, they might have lost money, but they didn't earn money. And so they're, they're going to make that back. Like this is the tip of the iceberg for inflation and costs. And then you've got like the, the monetary comment to me, the uh, forgive me if I don't pay attention to monetary policy. I think it was misunderstood, but at the same, like, I don't think that's really what he meant. But at the same time, it's an election year, the prime minister, that should be the number one uh, keys on your keychain would be to the economy and everything going on in Canada. Well, he would have the briefings on monetary policy. We'd know how important they are. He would know that uh, Canadians are extraordinarily sensitive to what happens if the government can't, if it can't finance uh, the massive debt that it's undertaken. Um, you know, businesses know as well that uh, things have slowed down and the supply chain crisis is real uh, and it's likely to get worse. Uh, and forget this housing for a second where even if you could afford to build a house, there's no material and the material and the labor are simply not in the same supply that they were before. I think for the prime minister, though, um, 
demonstrating uh, flippancy doesn't work. His comment about monetary policy reminded me of his father's comment in 1972, uh, you know, when he referred to, to uh, Western Canadians, uh, especially the agricultural sector, by saying, why should I sell your wheat? Um, and I think that's something that could ha- come back to harm any credibility he has in being able to uh, manage this economy. So let's not cast ourselves too far down the road in terms of conjecturing, but let's say he has a weaker minority than he has now. Uh, It's not likely that he will be able to survive the first vote uh, uh, on the budget. A budget has to be based on austerity. There's no way you can continue to spend. And I think that's his biggest problem is that uh, this is an election uh, where he, you know, he sought the opportunity because uh, uh, things are about to get real. Um, you know this uh, this fall, and um, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people like the prime minister and those in parliament know that the other shoe is going to drop, and we could be back to the situation we saw in two thousand and eight, or worse, what we saw in nineteen eighty one, where you have inflation and a stagnating economy, a so called stagflation. Well, uh, patterns present themselves here, Dan McTagg, and the pattern of the budgets balance themselves comment, and a. Um, forgive me if I don't pay attention to monetary policy comment and a $600 million vanity election. Um, I don't think that's, I don't think you can ignore that. Well, you can't ignore that. And you also can't ignore the meat and potatoes of what this campaign is not talking about. And that's uh, the elephant in the room. And uh, even I've tried to dance around it, but I mean, I cannot for a moment uh, ignore what everyone is saying. Anybody goes to a grocery store, Anybody who goes and buys fuel uh, to uh, to do their business, anybody who sees those invoices coming in from companies that have increased the costs, uh, anybody who's seen the portions of food that you now get in boxes are smaller. There is, uh, I think, a tipping point. And I think for a lot of people, quietly, uh, they're, and they're realizing that not all things are right. They don't necessarily believe government is the answer to everything. But there's a, a disconnect. The government that's very flippant. Uh, spending everywhere on every program out there. A prime minister stands in front of a house not far from where I live here, a $1.5 million home, and says, hey, this is an affordable home. It's not. Um, The fact that we have printed a lot of money in this country, that we have allowed uh, uh, the economy to be floated basically on assets, asset purchases by the central bank, um, is a very scary thing, especially if those assets begin to lose their value. Or we fail to have growth in the economy. We've bludgeoned the two most important uh, uh, revenue generators, the oil and gas sector. We've made it virtually impossible for those industries to come back roaring at a time in which we desperately need them to get up and running. And so when you, uh, when you, uh, you know, kill the golden goose or you dump on your most important generator uh, and you treat it as badly as this government has, I wouldn't be surprised that the prime minister now realizes uh, that this is coming full circle and that uh, what goes in terms of his bad policies on these industries is going to make an economic recovery that much more difficult, if not impossible. Well, you can grow the economy, though, Dan, if you welcome 20,000 um, Afghans and 40,000 Syrians. And if you just make the population bigger, that's the secret. That's the secret that everybody ignores, right? Immigration is the key to hiding bad financial policy because you just bring more people in. That's how you grow the economy. That's the big secret. Well, it's part of the secret, but it's also recognizing that uh, numbers in themselves don't generate growth. Uh, and you have to have the growth of wealth in this country in order to support any kind of 
policy. I think this is a country of immigrants. We all have descended, if not directly from, then benefited by it. But it has to be gradual. It can't be historical. It can't be uh, an attempt at trying to, uh, you know, buy a constituency of people who will be holding to you forever. And it certainly isn't designed uh, as a means of saying uh, this is a short-term solution if they all wind up in Toronto, where, of course, prices here have become impossible. Now you have to build more affordable housing, even for people who are working. And you're basically uh, putting, you know, a significant strain on the social programs uh, of this uh, province and of this country uh, that can't necessarily be met quickly. Um, but I think overall, a country that can continue to attract new people is always a good thing and it is positive for growth. But these things can't be done by trying to say, we brought in more people than any time since the turn of the last century. Uh, that kind of a claim without a basis in reality is, uh, uh, is not very wise public policy. Dan McTagg was MP of Pickering, Scarborough East, uh, affectionately just known as Pickering. Um, no offense to uh, Scarborough. <laughs> yeah. Or no, uh, no offense, but there was a lot that happened in Pickering back then, 2004 to 2011. Um, so you're, you're, you had your Ajax in there because the writings all changed, but it was 97 to 2011, roughly, that you were, 93. You were working there. 93. And yeah, then it was called Ontario so, writing back then. <laughs> right. Oh man, it changed a lot, actually. Um, no, that. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, balancing the government and the ridings and reform, election reform, was one of the things that was talked about in the last election. There was a lot of shuffling going on back then. Uh, Western Canada hasn't seen the same sort of benefit, right? When it comes to the one vote is one riding, one vote is ten ridings, and all that stuff that we hear about. Um, have we like 1993, Dan? That's a long time ago. 1993. To today we went back to 2008 to today it's the same stuff over and over again do canadians need to just be aware of the shopping list of bs that they're getting fed in some ways the canadians need to be able to expect a little bit more from the representatives and here's the difference and it's not because i did it but because it can be done and that's to have members of parliament truly represent speak up speak out recognize that there are boundaries. You're, you were elected on a platform. You're a, a member of a certain party. These are the things you have to respect. You were elected on those things. But anything beyond that, be creative. There's a thousand and five issues out there. And every member of parliament should have the ability to bring one or two of them to the floor of the House of Commons for debate, for recognition, and maybe possibly even pass into law. Um, it's not hard to do. But we have such a tight grip control of the parliamentary process that it makes members of parliament renders them to nothing more than unfortunately useless voting machines and um they can't represent they can't speak out and usually they're given the talking points as to what to say imagine chain in 1997 1998 being told by the minister of whatever my being told by those ministers this is what you had to say and you couldn't say a word to the press and you couldn't write a letter to your constituent without being vetted by the pmo or having the pmo staff sitting in our caucus I mean, this is shows a real suppression in the ability for the member of parliament to articulate uh, and to be able to speak openly, not just to colleagues and behind closed doors, but to also uh, really, really, you know, zing it up, deal with issues that are important to Canadians. And they don't have to always be, you know, every 100 percent. But you're going to find constituency and variables across this country on good ideas. And uh, sometimes what I also found, the magic of Parliament that's lost in this Parliament especially, is the bipartisanship. And I'm not just talking motions or trendy little motions. Let's say nice things. I'm talking about being able to reach out 
to other parties and say, I have a great idea. Sorry about the dog in the background here. These are love great the ideas that's that, we have, uh, you know, that we have the ability to bring those to the fore. And that's kind of, you know, one of the strengths we had uh, and it's lost, unfortunately. I think of hockey, Dan. On a hockey team, you're expected to fulfill what the coach asks you to do. You're expected to live into the team and not take that penalty when you really want to just punch that guy in the face. You want to slash him in the leg, but you're supposed to suck it up time and place, time and place. And at the same time, you have to have the emotional awareness, the EQ, if you will, to sometimes you just got to take the puck and do what you do. That's grossly missing in politics. And it used to be that way. It used to be able to, that you would, sometimes you just got to do what's best for the team, out of the party. And sometimes it's time for you to be a star and you just got to take your stand. You got to stand up there and make sure everybody notices what you're doing. You know, that's a very good analogy. Um, I get a chance from time to time to speak to some university students, although lately it hasn't happened. And I would tell them um, there are times when I pushed the envelope and I knew I had, but there were other times when it was well worth it. Um, you know, bringing in the first steps towards the national organ donor registry, bringing in and being the first backbencher in, in, in Confederation's history to amend the criminal code. When people engage police in high, high speed pursuits, something happened in my riding at the time. It was very, very problematic. Uh, was able to get the legislation through by looking at compromise, working with other members of parliament. I think it's critical that members of parliament have that ability to take the stick, take the puck and, uh, give it their best. Now, of course, you know, be prepared for the consequences. If you fail, uh, there's mm-hmm. no, uh, there's no mercy, but if you, if you score, um, you know, you never know, could take you to the next level. And the next level, by the way, to all budding parliamentarians is don't look to be a cabinet minister, look to be a good MP. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that, um, being an MP used to be the star and, um, it's no longer the star anymore. You're now the grunt. And <laughs> I, I'm disappointed in that. Um, well, there's so much more that we can go here. Dan, I would love to get you back on to dig into the energy conversation, by the way, uh, around the election alone, because I don't think the energy, the climate conversation is starting to mumble up a little bit. The energy one hasn't yet, and it will. I'm, I'm 100% certain that all of the parties, based on the way that uh, Jagmeet had avoided a, a conversation and an interview in, while he was in Edmonton about balanced stuff, I think there's more to be had there, but I really appreciate the insight and um, look forward to chatting a little bit more. Thanks for sharing your experience of all the political stuff with us. I appreciate it, bud. Shane, let's do this again. It's the Shift Podcast. It is a technological world, and Blaine Kylo is here from the West Coast. Blainer, how are you, brother? I'm well. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you very much. Uh, here we are, tiptoeing as parents back to school, back into old regime. And I'm curious, does back to school for you mean, ah, finally, the computer and games are mine. The kids are gone. Uh, it means less chaos around the house and less me being worried that they're spending too much time on screens. It, it's less, we've got lots of different devices. It's less about me having it to myself and more me helping them manage things better. They're ready to go back to school. They've both said as much. They need mm-hmm. structure and and things, things to do, do, frankly. They've run out of things to do. 
Yeah, my kids are sick of me, so I just kind of assume that all kids are sick of their parents. Is that ever going to come back to bite you where they, they come, Dad, you have too much screen time. You need to take a break. Do they ever use that one against you? No, they haven't figured really? that one out yet, but it's It'll just a, it's just a matter of time. Let me know. Text me when it happens because I'm curious when that day comes, right? They'll be giving it, giving your own gears right back to you. My goodness. Okay. Uh, solocore.com, S-O-L-O-C-O-R-P-S.com. Blaine Kylo. Where are we going on our technology adventure today, Blainer? Where do you want to start? Well, we have to start with Psychonauts 2 because I've been waiting for this game for 15 years. Um, this wow. is a new game from Tim Schafer who goes way back in video games, actually. Um, he was part of the group that did some of the first um, adventure games. So Secret of Monkey Island, the sort of pirate-themed adventure games that were very witty and they were about having lots of conversations with different characters and figuring out puzzles. That's where Tim Schafer came from. And Psychonauts, the first one, came out in 2005, very much in the same vein. This is kind of what you need to know about the humor that's in this game. Psychonauts is about a young boy who runs away from the circus to go to school. So it's a complete flip of the running away from home to I join the circus. I had to this think about is, it for a second. I was like, I was like, wait a second. Did, did Blaine just say that he ran away from the circus? Exactly. <laughs> like your brain doesn't really go there. That's cool. And, and, and that's kind of what the, it, it really sells the tone and the humor in this game. Um, the first Psychonauts didn't sell well and. Uh, it was ended up being critically acclaimed, and it's a bit of a cult game now. Um, Double Fine, which is the company that Tim Schafer runs, they actually crowdsourced a sequel because they had so many people saying that they wanted a sequel. They did a crowdsourcing campaign to come up with the funds. There was enough people wanting it that they started work on the game, and then Microsoft bought Double Fine. And so... Double Fine now has the time and the space and the flexibility to make a really good game. It released this week, and Psychonauts 2 is it's certifiably fantastic. This is an absolute delight. I've been playing it nonstop for a week. I can't get enough of it. Um, really? It, it's got its platforming, it's puzzling, it's hilarious with incredible characters. It's a game in which you actually enter the minds of other people and you have to help them sort through their emotional baggage or deal with their bad moods. These are things that become literal in the minds of the characters and you help them deal with these things so that they can become whole in the real world again. And because so much of the game takes place in the minds of these characters, it gives the artists license to create fantastic worlds that are all very different from one another. So you're playing 10 different games while you're playing Psychonauts 2. I can't say enough about how much this game has been fun to play. It sounds like you could actually go from scenario to scenario and you could go from it being a magical unicorn bubbles and glitter world to being a second world war game from scenario to scenario because if you're going into how people perceive it all that's that's exactly what it is now it doesn't ever get as dark as a world war ii game where you know zombies are crawling up from the graves it never gets that dark this is very much a family-friendly game but it does 
deal with some of the psychological trauma that people go through. And Raz, the 10-year-old who's at the center of this story, helps these characters sort through some of these things. And in so doing, is able to sort of resolve a mystery about what's happening in the Psychonauts headquarters, which is this spy agency of psychic spies. So 15 years is a long time to wait for something, Blaine. So was, was it the, the, the depth to it, um, the lack of limitations of it? Why? I mean, 15 years is a long time to be excited for a game. So what was about it from the first one that, that had you so excited for this one? Well, it, the, the, this game very much honors the first one. And now I haven't gone back to play the first one. I, I, it, you can get it for $10 on Xbox right now, $11 on Steam. And I actually recommend playing the first game before playing the sequel because it's kind of a really deep world to get thrown into. And you really do pick up from where the last game left off. So mm. it's not a bad idea to play that first game first. But this very much honors that first game. The The structure of the game is very similar. This is just bigger. There are more characters. There's more environments in which you can enter. And it's a deeper, richer story. And so it's just more of all of that good stuff that the first one had. Check out Psychonauts 2, solocore.com, Blaine Kylo, Destiny 2 expansion pack, since we're talking about games. Yeah, this is a bit of a surprise. Um, we knew that Bungie was going to be talking about their next expansion this week, but when they started talking about the Witch Queen, which is scheduled for release on February 22nd, it became clear that the, <laughs> this is much more than just an expansion. It's almost like an entirely new game. There's so much new story. There's so much new environment that's coming out in the Witch Queen. Um, Bungie is introducing weapon crafting, so now people who are playing won't be limited just to the, the weapons that they get, they pick up when they complete objectives. They're going to be able to create their own weapons and craft their own weapons. There's a new weapon called the Glaive. Unlimited primary ammunition is coming to the Witch Queen. And even though the Witch Queen doesn't come out until February, the story that builds up to that release begins now with the next chapter in the existing storyline. And so right now you can start playing, um, oh, I've just lost my note. Uh, season of the Lost is the next chapter, is the next season that is essentially a prologue to the Witch Queen. And what that brings is full-on true cross-play. So now, no matter what you're playing Destiny 2 on, you can play with anybody on any other system or platform. PS4 can play with Stadia, can play with Xbox Series X. Anybody that's playing Destiny 2 can play with anybody else, no matter the platform. Cool. That does sound cool. All right, stay with gaming. Plaid. Everything is plaid now. Tesla's got a plaid. Xbox has got a plaid. A buffalo. I don't know what's buffalo plaid. I imagine a buffalo with red and black plaid. You know, try to pretend to be a moose. Like, what's happening? Buffalo plaid is the is the 
um, that's very specific plaid that is sort of exemplifies Canada. It's the black and red, that sort of big check or the big squares um, that we all like to have our flannel in. And it, as part of summer celebrations, Xbox Canada is giving away an Xbox wireless controller that comes in that black and red square um, color scheme. And so until the end of the day tomorrow, Thursday, if you follow Xbox Canada on Twitter and retweet their tweet about this controller, you get in the running for um, one of 10 prize packs that includes one of these controllers, as well as uh, 10 games that can be redeemed from a whole list of games that they have, including Ubisoft's latest open world games, EA Sports Sims, indie greats like The Long Dark, Super Time Force Ultra and Below are all part of the games that you can select if you're one of the 10 winners of the Buffalo Plaid wireless controller. That sounds fun. I like Buffalo. It's always Plaid. fun to win things. And you you never you, anybody who's got an Xbox or a PlayStation knows you think you've got enough controllers, you can always use one more. Ryan O'Donnell always wins things. I don't seem to have that luck or skill. Just saying. He wins everything. So if you want one, just wait for Ryan O'Donnell. He'll win one. I'm sure. He's, uh, you know what you're doing? He's going to Xbox website right now, aren't you? I can see it in your eyes. He's doing it right now. It's on, yeah, see, it. it's, it's on Twitter? Where is it? Twitter. It's, uh, yeah. if you go Xbox to, if you go to my web. If you go to my website, the, I've, I've embedded the tweet at my I'm website, so you can find it quick there. I, I would be shocked if I won a Twitter competition, but if I do... There's a look he gets, Blaine, he gets this look in his eye when it's like, ooh, contest. It's like rabid. Like he gets excited. He shakes a little bit. He starts to smile. His eyebrows go up. It's, he gets, oh, I can tell from a mile away. All right. Well, one um, of the we were you talking to about, do is you've, you've got to retweet. And right now I'm only seeing 350 people who have retweeted it. So, ooh, okay. Statistically, so just listen to Blaine. Uh, ignore what he said, and uh, I will nobody, conduct an experiment on behalf of all of the listeners. It will be our plaid controller. How nice. does that sound? That you keep, that we don't re-give away to anybody else. Um, the uh, Before we started the show here, we were talking about big TVs and watching TV and how big of a TV do you have and all that stuff. Being able to go hang out with friends outside is a great way to watch a show or a hockey game. Oftenly, the, uh, the lumens of... Oftenly, is that what I just said? Often, the lumens and such of a projector are not bright enough until the sun sets and so on and so forth. So new projector technology for big TVs is really kind of cool. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the fourth wave is truly upon us now. And so there's more of a move, I think, as opposed to going back inside, maybe we're going to stay outside. And certainly our family and friends are looking to keep our gatherings and activities outside. And we have a kid in our larger friend group who was having a birthday and he wanted to have a movie birthday, but his parents weren't willing to have a bunch of kids in the house. And so I said, hey, let's test out one of the new Epson projectors because Epson had let me know that they have a new laser mini projector that they've got in the market. And so they sent one over to test drive 
And this, it's a sweet little device. It's a cube, so it's like smaller than a 12-pack, and it's about the weight of a 12-pack, so very portable, super easy to use. I mean, you literally plug in the power. It's got Android TV as an operating system, so instantly you know how to use this thing. You connect it to your Wi-Fi, and you can start streaming from your Android or your Google um, Play account or YouTube or anything like that, or you can plug in H an HDMI port. So I used an iPad with an adapter and I plugged that in. Um, but the thing that makes the EF12 the best for sort of outdoor viewing is they collaborated with Yamaha on the speakers on this thing and it was surround sound. It was loud. It was crystal clear. The sound, we watched The Goonies. That was the movie that we watched. Oh, and the sound was incredible coming out of this little cube that was in the backyard. Now, where the EF-12 doesn't come through, it's a smaller device. It's a laser um, lens on it. And so it does not have the brightness that some of the other projectors have. We couldn't really get a viewable picture until the sun had gone down. It didn't work in, in dusk. Um, but because it's so portable and because the sound is so great and it was so easy to plug and play, um, I really liked it. It was an incredible experience and the kids loved being able to watch that movie outside. That's amazing. Uh, portability, I mean, when you have those older traditional uh, projectors, unless it's one that comes in a box with a handle, you don't really want to carry them around and bang them around and stuff like that. So what do you think that's portable? I mean, that's this is cool. This is technology that I think is going to get better and better and better. And the brightness always goes up. I mean, you can if you would pay for it, the brightness is going to be there. But if you want to get something that's reasonable and usable, uh, that's always difficult. So at least exciting things to look forward to. Yeah, there's always a bit of a trade-off there. And, you know, the other thing about this is you didn't have to muck around. It auto-focused. So oh, really? you set it up, you got it as far away from the screen as you needed it to be, and it would auto-focus and auto-frame and center and, and all of that. You didn't have to muck around with anything. It did it wow. itself. Solocore.com, Blaine Kylo. Check it out also on the Twitter, too. Thanks, Blainer. It's great to see you. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.